0: Another edition of the Talking Mets podcast is Sunday, April the 17th. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Check out the show, as always, at metzmerizedonline.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media. If you want to interact with me personally, you can go to mikesilvamedia.com. So, hope everybody's having a good Sunday night, another week in the books. A uh, Great show. Hope you're going to enjoy it. Joining me in a little bit, Mike Vorkanoff. You may remember Mike from his uh, time at uh, NJ.com, New Jersey Advanced Media. He uh, caught up with Zach Wheeler for a piece at Vice Sports. We'll talk to him in a little bit. I'll take your Q&A, some interesting Q&A, coming from the Metsmerized Online community. I'm hoping to have joined me James Flippen, who works over at WOR. He's going to take some questions with me. So he'll join me later on in the podcast, do a little something different today, where you have uh, me and and potentially a guest take some of the Metsmerized Online com communities questions but let's start out and i'll just take a deep sigh of relief and now i'm not going to sit here throughout the intro and make excuses for the team the mets have played poorly the mets haven't made you feel good about them all spring into the season they just haven't whether it be the 15 games in spring training that they just either tied or never won Early season where they haven't been able to hit, even the games they won, you didn't feel great about the team. But for the first time today, I think you felt good about the Mets. Even Friday night, you didn't feel good about the Mets. And I know that this this show is not just about the game of the day, because we do record it on Sundays. It's about the week prior. It's about the week ahead. But today was important because you felt good about the Mets. The young pitcher went out and pitched as you would expect. You got offense. You got offense from Conforto, and and Granderson is starting to hit, and Cespedes has, has had a good road trip so far. Uh, the Mets played pretty crisp in the field. So you could take a deep sigh of relief and feel good that for the first time in 2016, the Mets won a series. Yeah, they split with the Royals. They lost to the Phillies. They lost to the Marlins. If they had lost the Indians, again, it's not the end of the world. But I'm not sure you would have felt as good about this team going into Philadelphia as you do right now, especially on the heels with the fact the Nets, they're human. They lost. Jonathan Pappelbaum blew a save in the 10th inning down in Philadelphia. So let's just take a deep sigh of relief. Now, I don't want to say there isn't concerns because I have two big concerns, and I'll get to those in a minute. But I also want to give you an idea of how I look at this thing. I told you last week, give it 50 games. Let me, let me see the team play around with 50 games. But within those 50 games, you don't want to fall too far out of both the wild card and the division. Now, very hard to get knocked out of in a, in a two wild card scenario, very hard to get knocked out of things. So let's not even put that on the table. But I like to look at the division almost like an NBA game. And last year, the Mets were playing on the road. The Nats were the home team, and the Nats were the prohibitive favorite. Everybody thought the Nats were just going to blow the doors off the Mets. And the Nats, even when they, you know, Mets got off to a hot start, the Nats came back, the Nats had pretty much a lead early into the summer, into that weekend series, right after the Cespedes trade on July 31st. Basically, going into August, the Mets were in second place. They were within a stone's throw of the Nats, but they were in second place. And the only reason the Mets even were considered in it on August 1st was the fact that the Nats let them hang around. They didn't play well. When the Mets were not hitting, the Nats never blew the doors off of them. So if you look at it like an NBA game, there's going to be runs. NBA teams get off to runs, and right now we're in the first two minutes of the game. So you can't take a heck of a lot away from that. Now, you can get blown out in an NBA game pretty quick. If you're down 20 at the end of the first quarter, you've got your work cut out for you. And the Mets don't want to be down 20 at the end of the first quarter, but we're nowhere near that. But as you can see, the Nats are human. They're not going to win every game. They're not going to play the Phillies and the Braves every night. And they've got some issues. The Mets have some issues. But I think that's the thing. Like, right now, everybody I still felt is in August, September. Oh, my God, I still read about it. The Mets got to, you know, win tonight just to keep pace with the Nats. It's just not the way it is. It's just not. There's a couple of concerns I have with this club, and I guess it all starts with the pretty obvious one, with all that being said. And it starts with Matt Harvey. And... um I don't know exactly if Matt Harvey's healthy. You know, that's, that's the thing I can't tell you. His velocity is a couple of ticks down. Even yesterday when he was retiring 13 in a row, I never felt he was dominant. He was certainly good in the first inning, and that was the old Matt Harvey you saw striking out the side in the first inning. But at least the readings that I saw on Sny had him at about 92 miles an hour, which to me is four or five miles less than you expect Matt Harvey. Now, I went to Brooks Baseball. They have him at a little under 95. As he got into innings four, five, and six, and, and later into the pitch count, it went way down. Something isn't right. Now, I am not a pitching coach. I am not there. But the one thing I did see, and I believe that this goes back to a lot of what, and you heard Terry Collins snap out a little bit on um, on the postgame show after that Thursday game, and I'll get to Terry in a minute. But Matt Harvey pitched 12 innings in spring training. I don't think that counts. I'm looking at the Mets' press notes here from Saturday's game. I don't think that counts the the inter-squad game, the simulated game, whatever you want to call it. But Matt Harvey's off. And you keep hearing Dan and say, well, it's his mechanics. Well, I've been hearing this now for a better part of a month, that his mechanics were off since he got hit pretty hard in spring training well, what's going on? Are we working on it? Are we fixing it? Is it an excuse? All I know is I understand that they didn't want to, after going deep into postseason, pushing their young pitchers in this world of thresholds or innings threshold, they don't want to start going out and acting like March 1st was September 1st and, and trying to win the Grapefruit League. But I also wonder, are the Mets playing themselves into the regular season in the regular season? Because if, you, if Matt Harvey, and I don't have all the innings from every starter in spring training, but they hardly pitched. Noah Syndergaard, I think, was the one that pitched the most from what I what I remember. It guys like Colon- Every day you seemed like you had guys who were not going to be on the team playing. So how can you in 12 innings really get prepared for the season? How can you work through the mechanics if you don't work through them in a the game? You can work on them on the side. So is it a situation where Harvey is indeed, he claims he's healthy, Is he working himself into shape? And if that's the case, well, where's the planning? And that's always been, and it goes into my second point here, I've always felt that this manager and this pitching coach have always played this thing by ear. They do it with the bullpen. If there was going to be a thing that uh, innings were going to be an issue at some point with Matt Harvey last year, they could have addressed that in spring training. Like the whole thing about Matt Harvey in September hitting that innings – uh, cap that was really Boris, that should have been discussed back in March and you could have planned this thing out so that you wouldn't have even had that controversy. Like I don't understand where the planning goes with these two guys. What exactly if his mechanics are off, what exactly is Dan Worthing doing to to fix it? And I hear all the time how great of a pitching coach Dan Worthing is. Well, look at all these young arms. The vaunted Worthing slider, which you could make the argument may have hurt Matt Harvey's arm. Who knows what it's going to do to Noah Syndergaard. But other than take credit for pitchers who came to the major leagues with a lot of talent and, and pretty ready to go, which is a rarity, what has he done and what is he doing? And from Matt Harvey's point of view, maybe this is something that's good. Matt Harvey, I picked up a, an issue of Forbes this week, and he and DeGrom are in there modeling some, some suits and what have you. Uh, that's fine. Look, everybody deserves the spoils of winning. But at some point, maybe Matt Harvey needs to be taken down two or three notches and realize the reason that he's on the cover of magazines and the reason he's desirable and the reason everybody talks about him is because he plays in New York, but he plays for a winning team in New York, and he's good. If he's Logan Verrett, all due respect, who had a good outing, he's not on those covers of those magazines. If he's a middle reliever, he's not on a cover of those magazines. It's because he's he's Matt Harvey and he's pitching at an elite – portion of the rotation he's not just everybody else so what is exactly going on and that goes into terry and i'll play for you let's go in and let's play it right now let's do that right now let's play terry's let's play what terry had to say after the win on thursday because it's very interesting bob i'm
1: not worried about the confidence i'm worried about um the perception is that there's no energy here which is completely not true. Um, you know, that we're not prepared, that we're not, you know, we're, we're overconfident or we're not taking things seriously. I heard that last night and it, it made me sick to my stomach. That people actually think that, that, that this team that accomplished what they did last year would have any semblance of that type of makeup. So I said, you know what, we got to win this game today. We got to show people we mean business here.
0: So that's Terry. And here's my thing I'll ask all of you. If, You're guilty of something. Would it not bother you? If it was so preposterous that this team, the thought of this team not being prepared or overconfident or not ready to start the season was so preposterous, wouldn't you just dismiss it? Why would it bother you, and why would you go out and play Thursday's game as if it was the seventh game of the World Series if it wasn't true? It seems like, to me, you have a couple of issues going on here with Terry. First of all, Terry's being exposed for someone who can't handle pressure. He's got a complete pass from the media during his time in New York. Do you realize Joe Torre, who won three championships in a row, four and five years, got criticized more than Terry Collins, who has won bupkis here? He had basically 12 good weeks. Went to the World Series, but had 12 good weeks. Joe Torre got criticized more. Jeff Van Gundy, guys like that who have won here. Uh, Phil Jackson, who has 11 rings, gets murdered here. Elaine Vigneault, whose team has gone to the cup finals and has been competitive every year, he gets criticized. Every manager, Joe Girardi, the binder of everything, gets criticized. But Collins doesn't. And here's my take on this in the sense that Terry hasn't really done a good job, and now he's the front runner. He's got pressure on him. Are we going to see the old Terry Collins? It was easy. It was easy when he was in purgatory. And to a certain extent, it was easy when they went on a run and they got hot. Terry really just sat back and enjoyed the, the, that whole run. Uh, and he did a couple of things when he managed the bullpen, almost to uh, derail that. And then they got into the postseason, and that's a tournament, and, and it was like a magic carpet ride, and away you go. And then you got to the World Series, which, like I said, he blew the World Series. Terry brings in his closer in the eighth inning, like Ned Yost brought his closer in, in the eighth inning. Maybe the Mets win and forget about the Murphy era. If, if Familia starts the inning, I think that that game, game four, is over. You tied two two, and now you go into game five. Who knows what could happen? But this goes back to Terry handling pressure. Can he handle pressure? So far, it doesn't seem like he can. And that those comments that you just heard from Thursday's game, uh, from Wednesday's game, excuse me, tell you all you need to know. The second thing is, can this man manage a bullpen? Friday was a complete display of what's wrong with terry collins he wants to give familia a day off but then he warms him up while addison reed is getting runners on base once you warm him up bring him in the game don't wait for it to get close because now he's got to go and he's got to rush his warm-ups to get in he comes into a stressful situation so he's going to have to work a little bit harder that's not rest you're better off putting him in into a clean inning Start him off in a clean inning so that maybe he could ease himself in with a four-run lead. And also, your closer should be in games four runs or less. Forget the stat. Four runs or less, that's enough. Four runs, a guy gets on, guy gets on, bam, home run, now you got a game. Four runs may not be statistically a tie, but it to me, uh, excuse me, statistically a save, but to me that's where your closer could go in, four runs. one shit five, that's a different story. It's like today it was six, no reason to bring him in. But if you're going to give him a day off, give him a day off. Once he warms up, he's not off. Here's the other thing. Find out what pitchers can do well sitting down, getting cold, and getting back up. I understand Addison Reed on Friday only pitched – I think he only threw 18 pitches. But he had a quick eighth inning. But the thing about the guys like Reed and even Bistardo or any of these guys, Henderson, once you sit them down, they're going to get cold. They're not used to that. These guys, Reed was a closer. Henderson was a closer. Bastardo has closed games. Uh, Familia, obviously. And can you go multiple innings? Sure. But it's not ideal. And that's why you have all these weapons in the bullpen. You don't have to go multiple innings. You can give them clean innings. You can give them a margin of error. What he did with Jim Henderson on Thursday was ridiculous. Jim Henderson's coming off a shoulder surgery. He was pretty much out of the game a year ago. Bastardo, I know he threw 39 pitches on Monday. But he could have pitched Wednesday. If Robles was good enough to come in with bases loaded and nobody out, he was good enough to come in when there was a clean inning. You might as well have went that route. I know he didn't want to use him either. I understand he went and threw a bunch of pitches in that blowout on Monday. Matt threw the whole thing off. That's not Terry's fault. I get it. But what is the plan out there, and why does he struggle with this? And why are we still talking about pitchers being tired from October? Last I looked, they played one week in November, they had all of December off, they had all of January off, they had a couple of weeks off in February before they had a report around Valentine's Day, and based on the numbers that I saw, just perusing through spring training numbers, they didn't throw a hell of a lot in spring training, so nobody should be tired right now. And by the way, they've had a zillion days off since the season started. So you have a couple of things, and if you really want to get concerned here, the couple of things is simple. You have, first of all, take a deep breath. Mets are not going to be a 90-loss team. I'd be shocked, short of injuries. This is a good team. It showed you it can be a good team. The bats are starting to come to life. The Nats are not infallible. The Nats have issues. The Nats have plenty of issues. That offense isn't great, and Papelbon's combustible. But you have a pitcher, and I'll tell you what. If Harvey is pedestrian— it changes the dynamic here on this rotation. It's not a dominant rotation because you don't know what you're going to get at Bartolo Colon. Mats is still young. He still hasn't gone. You haven't seen Mats go through. It means Mats has not even made more than a dozen starts here. Not many. Not even. The Count World Series. Let's see him go through the league a couple of times. Syndergaard is Syndergaard. He's, he looks every bit as what we thought he was advertised going into the season. And DeGrom. Obviously, he's going through a lot right now with his son and his newborn, and 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 he's, you know, obviously got the the, the muscle issue or whatever it is. You don't get a straight answer out of the Mets. He should be okay, but his velocity is down a little bit. Again, nobody seems to be ready for the season because I don't know what the plan is. And historically, these two guys, Worthen and Collins, and you got to throw Sandy into it because I guess Sandy in the, in the front office, from what everybody tells you, is actually running the show. What's the plan and why are you going into the season treating – we're going to treat these guys like glass vases and we're never going to pitch them? It's like all the rest and all the precaution is doing the exact opposite. And if that's what Matt Harvey's all about, well, then he's pitching himself in the shape. He's having a bad April, not the first pitcher to have that happen. But if not, if there's something wrong, if he isn't recovering well after really blowing through or pitching the most innings post-Tommy John surgery, that goes back to the planning of last year. Because you could have had your cake and eat it too. You didn't have to pitch him like you did if that was a concern. Because was it that you guys really didn't think you were going to make the playoffs? Seems like that's kind of what happened to the Nats back in twenty. Uh, what was it? 2011 the Nats had that happen. And then they were caught with the, the whole Strasburg thing. It was 2012 actually I should say. You got to plan. You got to plan on playing into November. And that was what they should have done. So that goes back to planning. I don't think there's a lot of planning. As far as Terry Collins, guys, this guy can't manage a bullpen. He has no feel for a bullpen. He never will. They're going to win in spite of him, and even with all these weapons, they'll win in spite of him on this bullpen, because this bullpen's got some good arms. Maybe a little inconsistent some of them, but they got some good arms. This is not your typical Mets bullpen you've seen the last five years. And I don't know if he can handle the pressure, and you already started to see it back on Thursday. Uh, excuse me, Wednesday. You started to see it. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Mike Vorkanoff. Mike used to write for nj.com. He now writes for Vice, SMY.tv. You can uh you could also check him out on Baseball Prospectus. We're going to check in with him as he caught up with Zach Wheeler, another young arm, young arm that's injured. And we're going to see what is going on with Zach Wheeler, when we could expect him back. He wrote an interesting piece of Vice Sports about Zach Wheeler later on. I'll take your questions. Hoping to have James Flippin join us. James uh of WOR will join me to take some of your questions as well. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Sunday, April the 17th. If you want to check out the show uh, on replay, go to MetsMorizonLine.com send me a tweet at Media or go to MikeSilvaMedia.com We'll be back with Mike Vorkanoff right after this.
1: And Bird goes down swinging on the slider and that retires the side. A career-high nine strikeouts for Stephen Matz. Cespedes drives one to right center, chasing Naquin back to the warning track at the wall. It's out of here! Ioannis Cespedes with a two-run homer. The Mets' third home run of the night. And Cespedes with his second of the season gives the Mets a 4-1 lead. One-two coming. Struck him out. Number
0: 12 for Noah Syndergaard. The 2016 season is in full swing and you don't want to miss a beat. You know what else you don't want to miss? Me, Mike Silva, host of the Talkie Mets podcast every week. Check it out and subscribe at com. We're back. Mike Silva
1: here
0: of Talky Mets on com, and I am joined By Mike Vorkanoff, you probably remember his work from NJ.com, but now he can be found at SNY.TV, Vice Sports, and Baseball Prospectus. You can check him out on Twitter at Mike underscore Vorkanoff. He's joining me out on the West Coast. Mike, thanks for coming on. How you doing?
2: Thanks for having me. Pretty good out here. Pretty good. It's, uh, It's an earlier morning on the West Coast than it is for you.
0: I know. I I appreciate you coming on with us. And we recently read your piece in Vice Sports about Zach Wheeler, and I think it's appropriate to start out you – I think you referred to him as the fifth Beatle. I look at him as almost a forgotten arm, almost traded multiple times last year. Interesting to catch up with Zach and and really what it looks like with Tommy John surgery. You're almost in baseball purgatory.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I think that was kind of the case for him. Um, You know, he got hurt in March last year, uh, and and that was kind of before the rise of – uh, Steven Matz and center guard still had made his major league debut and uh, you know he had to spend the next year watching those two guys kind of surpass him in a way and the success that the pitching staff had and all at the same time you know he's just going to the ballpark every morning 8 a.m. down in St. Lucie staying for four hours and then he's coming home and spending the rest of his time waiting for games and just waiting to pass the time basically and purgatory is a good way to put it you know he almost He got traded basically uh, at the trade deadline and he had to watch everything happen. And at one point he was just every bit the equal of essentially Matt Harvey uh, and obviously much more hype than Jacob DeCrom and and in the last year, everything kind of passed him by in a way.
0: One of the things that a lot of fans probably don't realize with the Tommy John surgery, it's, it's obviously there's not a hundred percent chance that pitchers come back although there's many instances where they've come back better than ever but really the key is the rehab schedule and, and I know you just mentioned that the being in Port St. Lucie rehabbing for four hours and really sitting in a town as a young man there's not much else to do but the rehab itself is grueling did you have a chance to talk to him a little bit about that
2: well yeah I think uh, the return rate is something like 80 percent of guys who have TJ uh, get back to where they were in the major leagues so that 20 percent Well, it seems like kind of a rounding error Uh, if you're not the guy going through TJ. TJ's huge number. You've seen plenty of guys go up TJ and and never come back. Uh, And and the rehab is, you know, it's it's the sequence of baby steps. It can be really, uh, really, really uh, difficult on the mind more so than on the body uh, just because you see very little progress day to day. There's no huge step. Maybe you take your first throw four months from surgery, the first time you get back on the mound in a minor league game or something like that, but it's very difficult. And uh, just talking to Zach about that, you know, you could tell that he got bored by it. He wanted to pitch. He missed his teammates. Uh, he was kind of secluded down there. He found uh, friendship wherever he could. I think Josh Smoker, who's a pitcher in the Mets organization, uh, lived with him for a time. Jeff Walters, who also went through Tommy John surgery, also with Dr. David Alcheck, uh lived with him for a time, and he would text Jacob DeGrom and Steve met uh, guys who had similarly gone through surgery with check, looking for tips, looking for progress, you know, just keeping up with his friends. And I think that is the kind of unspoken part of getting Tommy John surgery is just how difficult it can be for you mentally.
0: I'm joined by Mike Vorkanoff. You can check him out on Twitter at Mike underscore Vorkanoff. He just wrote a piece at Vice Sports on Zach Wheeler. Mike, you have to feel for Zach watching the Mets run last October. He was brought up along with Harvey. I remember that doubleheader. Uh, everybody called it Super Tuesday in Atlanta, a few years ago when he and Harvey beat the Braves. Now he spent the last year with his nose pressed up against the glass, watching his team have fun and celebrate. He's not going to admit it bothered him, but there's got to be a certain amount of seclusion that comes with that scenario. and Maybe uh, he feels a, a bit left out.
2: Yeah. You, you could tell, uh, you know, he was happy for them. That, Cause I asked him specifically, you know, is there any kind of either jealousy or anger that you weren't a part of? And he said, no, you know, he's happy for them. He watched, uh, their entire playoff run, he watched the entire season. So it wasn't as if he put himself um, into seclusion of sorts and cut himself off of the team. Uh, but he, I think he was just to miss out on what happened. Um, he would have obviously liked to not only pitch, but just been there for uh, all the celebrations. And, uh, you know, instead of having to watch from St. Lucie, it's a, it's a very lonely place to be.
0: One of the more interesting parts of the article was the admission that Wheeler had elbow issues back in 2014. Now, I always felt his pitching was a risk since his arm action is always behind. He has that dreaded inverted L. But did the Mets handle him properly? He's admitted to having a torn flexor tendon that he pitched through, and, it, and he, perhaps he could have been more cautious. Ironically, he had his best numbers in the second half of 2014 with all that going on. Maybe if he was in the minor leagues, he said he would have gotten it fixed, but in the major leagues, you got to pitch through it. Did the Mets handle them properly? Is there anything from 2014 that the Mets could have done to prevent this?
2: Well, I mean, I think that's difficult to say. I I, I think um, kind of the thing that everyone's learned about QCLs and uh, how they tear and how guys eventually need to get Tommy John surgery is there's not a lot of predictive data out there um, to tell you what you should and what you shouldn't do to avoid these types of things. you know, he had that uh, torn flexor tendon. He decided to pitch through it. I don't think we know yet uh, whether the Mets knew about it through the entire 2014 season. They they certainly knew going into 2015 that something was wrong. They sent him for two MRIs in the offseason. Uh, Zach decided to pitch through it all in 2014, um, you know, and his decision was, okay, I have a torn flexor tendon, but it's not going to put me at any greater risk of having to get TJ, and, and that was the calculus that he did. Um, you know, mechanics aren't necessarily indicative of future elbow surgery. Um, you know, the workload, all that type of stuff. You, <clears throat> there, there's no great linear point from from something to PJ surgery. So I, I don't know what they could have done. Sure, they could have been more conservative for them, um, but then you see, as it happened with Matt Harvey, that doesn't always work out either. It, it, I think it's just that this one kind of a bunch of what ifs um, and. Maybe he was always going to break. Maybe he wouldn't have broken at all if he had torn, uh, if he had fixed the the tendon before the 2014 season. I I don't know what to say. You know, some guys can pitch for a while on that. If you remember Josh Edgen, uh, I think, had something similar. When he had TJ, there was kind of uh, something abutting in his elbow uh, against the the tendon as well. So there's, there's a bunch of things that go into it. I don't think you can say definitively what you can change in hindsight. Uh, to, to make it better.
0: July 1st, is that a reasonable return date for Wheeler based on the conversation you had with him? Also, who who knows what's going to ha- go on with the Mets rotation, but if the young guys stay healthy and Cologne continues to pitch well enough to keep his spot, could we see Wheeler in the bullpen? Is that in his best interest from both the health perspective and also maybe for the team?
2: Uh, you know, I, I think his best role is in, is in the rotation um, for him and for the Mets, you know, and the funny thing about pitching and making plans is that you never know what's going to happen the next week. You know, there could be an injury down the line where a rotation spot opens up. We just saw Logan Barrett make a start in the first, you know, two weeks of the season, and that probably was not planned. Um, so you never know what the rotation's going to look like in July. Right now he's planning on July 1st, but he seems to be pretty cautious with it, and he's willing to move back His return date, if he needs to, just so he avoids any further risks or uh, any problems down the line. So, you know, when he's back, you know, I could see him making starts, Bartolo coming in, making a few starts, uh, a few spot starts every once in a while, or maybe there's just an open rotation spot period. You know, Steven has never pitched the full season. Maybe they want to give him a break every so often. Same thing with Noah Syndergaard and kind of getting a a spot starter every once in a while. I I think if you have six-fit starters, that's really not a. That's not a problem with too many guys uh, at this point in baseball. There's always a a way to kind of work dial back the workload for someone else and and be more precautious than anything. And and as we saw last year with uh, with the Mets, they're comfortable making those types of decisions and kind of coming back on workload when they need to for the sake of the greater good in their eyes.
0: One last thing before you go. Knowing that he was almost traded a couple of times last July, did you get any sense that he wants to prove Mets management made the right decision? Was there any feeling maybe of disrespect? I'm sure that there's that competitiveness that he really wants to be mild prove he belongs on the same plane as Harvey, Syndergaard, DeGrom, and, and Mets.
2: No, not really. I, I think um, that's kind of over with for him. We spoke about it at length last year after the trade deadline in November. Um, you know, he wants <clears throat> he wants to stay with the Mets. Uh, I think the competitive part of his personality just kind of present itself naturally. All these guys are, these, you know, great competitors, and they're always trying to do the best that they can. I, I think the trade really had nothing to do with it. I think that was more about him. And, and it seems pretty earnestly because you have to get through the cliches just wanting to stay with the Mets. Um, you know, if you're a guy who comes up with an organization from an early age, even if he was traded from the Giants like he was, at, I think he was 19 or something like that, um, you know, there's, there's there's a loyalty to organizations and a comfort um, that develops. And we saw with Wilma Flores, and, and there becomes a desire to stay with the organization. So I, I think trade really has no impact on his thinking at this point, um, and it's certainly not improving himself or any type of uh, scenario like that.
0: So, Mike, anything you have going on that the listeners might be interested in knowing about? Before I let you go, anything, advice, SNY, or baseball perspectives that – you might want to plug.
2: No, I'll be writing from, uh, you know, City Field and Yankee Stadium and, and all that type of stuff, maybe a few other ballparks this summer. So just uh, try to do the usual stuff and, and grinding along with this season.
0: Well, thanks again. Uh, I know you're out on the West Coast with family. I appreciate a few minutes. And uh, let's do this again. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. And that's Mike Vorkanoff at Mike underscore Vorkanoff on Twitter, Vice Sports, smy.tv, and uh, Baseball Prospectus. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I'll take you questions. James Flippin of FlippinOutRadio.com, W-O-R, who uh, he does the uh, weekday, weeknights, uh, doing the production of the Mets games. Uh, he'll be joining me as we wrap up our uh, Talking Mets podcast. We'll be right back. Now Ben's in for the sign. Come, set. Here's the payoff pitch from
1: Familia to Fowler on the way. And it's in there, strike three called! The Mets win the pennant! The New York Mets have won the National League pennant! Put it in the box! The New York Mets, for the first time in 15 years, are champions of the National League!
0: Hey, remember that great moment? Come share the Mets' highs, lows, and everything in between with me, Mike Silva, on the Talking Mets podcast. Brought to you weekly by MetsMorizedOnline.com. We're back. Mike Silva, Talking Mets Podcast, MetsMorizedOnline.com. And joining me in the final segment, I like to take questions. I tried something a little bit different. I reached out to a friend of mine. You could uh, check him out on Twitter, at dot com. He's also the, I guess you could say, board operator for the weekday and weeknight Mets games at WOR. It's James Flippin. He also, and James, I- I'll introduce you here. I-, I also think you do some pretty good audio, if I'm not mistaken, some good audio for uh, Pete and the gang over there. Is that, am I correct?
1: Yeah, well, um, I- I've been known every now and then to uh, partake in some parody songs. Uh, I like to make little uh, little. Production pieces like just the other night when Johannes uh, Sespedes dove headfirst into the stands, I had the uh, you know sort of Looney Tunes uh, you know pitter patter of the steps <laughs> you know like with the with the banana slip as, as he dove into the into the stands and how he rose saying oh boy we better get him some help and you know thank goodness joanna uh, Sespedes was okay that's the only reason you can have some fun with audio like that but. Yeah, I do enjoy that kind of thing. I definitely do.
0: Thanks, Mike. I'm glad you noticed that. Uh, and I'm I'm happy for you to join me here. Before we get to the questions, I've noticed, and I said this in the open, look, the two concerns I have right now uh, is obviously Matt Harvey, and I'm not sure what's going on there. And I, I speculated that maybe. I was looking at the Mets. I get the Mets press notes every, uh, every game. And I noticed that Matt Harvey only pitched 12 innings in spring training, which makes me wonder with the bladder thing and what have you, is he really just building himself up into game shape in season? You hear about the mechanics. And the second concern I have is Terry Collins. Now, I I could go on and on. I know people who follow me on Twitter, I get on Terry's case, and sometimes there are things I say tongue-in-cheek just to get people going. But after Wednesday, and I played the clip where he took a lot of heat uh, or a lot of offense to people questioning the team's preparedness, you start to wonder, hey, Terry, are you, you? know, When people are guilty, sometimes they, they make a big deal about stuff because they're, they're wondering what other people are saying about them. Also, Terry historically has never handled pressure well, and he really hasn't had pressure up until this point in a Mets uniform. And then the other component, I just and I still don't figure it out, James, I don't think the guy knows anything anywhere near how to manage a bullpen. I, I'm sorry. Mm. I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I could manage a bullpen in Stratomatic a hell of a lot better than Terry can. Now, I know it's a lot easier at Stratomatic, but all fairness, those are concerns I have. But with that said, you've got to feel good for the first time, the first step in 2016 today. Mets win a series, Mets look really good out there. So you have to feel good, but there's that, those concerns that are starting to fester, and they're more than just a small sample. They're starting to, I guess, show where the light's being shown right then and there.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, listen. I I think the first thing you mentioned is Harvey, and it is definitely a legitimate point to say that he didn't have a full spring training. You know, he had uh, not only the bladder issue, but you know, it seemed like they were kind of limiting his workload before then. Um, I'll say this: Harvey and Degrom as well are definitely not throwing as hard on their you know four seamer as they were at their peak last year you know Harvey we know can top out around 96 97 we haven't seen that from him so far uh DeGrom is basically the same thing haven't seen it and uh by the way I saw today that DeGrom uh, apparently his his little baby is doing better so thank god uh that, that's awesome news and we're all really happy about that but um to, to stick to baseball for a second I think maybe these guys are having a little bit of a hangover And, you know, we we saw with the San Francisco Giants in the past, it's almost this magical, you know, we joke about it, year on, year off, from their pitching staff that we saw uh, in the late aughts uh, from 2008, 2009, 2010. You know, this team would kind of go on off with their pitching staff. And I think there is a lot to be said for the strain it puts on guys to pitch deep into the season, postseason, October, early part of November, and then they're coming back. Uh, just a few months later to pitch in spring training, um, that is a legitimate concern. However, I think what you saw from Matt's today, I think what you point out with Arby's limited spring training workload, I think that, you know, DeGrom has dealt with similar things. Um, Just the simple fact that the baseball season is so long and and so much more to go here from a sample size perspective, um, it's really hard on fans because we're not that far removed from a attention, from an emotion, from a dialed-in perspective, we're not that far removed from that World Series game uh, time. And, of course, you you open up with the Kansas City Royals. But I I think what you see is a team that's kind of trying to get back into it, not just from a mental perspective, but a physical perspective. And when you talk about Terry Collins, um, you're right. You know, this is the first time, really, uh, probably since they made the trade to go and get you on his cespitus and they you know Cespedes kind of took that for him, that he's faced pressure as a as a manager, expectation. You know, are you as the manager of this team gonna lead them to the promised land? And you you mentioned his managing the bullpen, the, the Henderson thing uh last week, which is absolutely insane. Um, you know, the fact that he's used Familia as much as he has so far, I probably don't have as much of an issue with that as some other people would, but you know, people pointed out, um, but you know, go back to the World Series last year, and I'm sorry, Mike, I, I can't necessarily get over it yet. Uh, Collins botched that whole series
0: pretty he badly game in Game Four. Game Four, and game game five. four. yeah, Game Absolutely, Four. You, the, the, you Ned Yost brings in his closer. Ned Yost brings in his closer. They win Game Four. Familia gets brought in after Tyler Clifford gets a base runner on, it there was a couple of base can runners. You can't let on.
1: Tyler Clifford. Tyler Clifford can't, can't that game, it. man.
0: I mean, Tyler no, Clifford no. has and, shown and,
1: you since August, right? Since August, exactly. That he, he can't pitch in that type exactly. of a game, and he did. And, and so, and, yeah, and, I, and I think th- the jury that that said, you know, the jury still being out on Collins, people saying this is a guy that you're still not, you're not necessarily confident in. That's fair. And, and a lot of Mets fans and a lot of Mets prognosticators say you're crazy, you're crazy. What did they do last year? How'd they do last year? Well, you know, listen, uh, they they uh. They have the lead in all, all of those games. And other than game one, I think there's some aspect of Collins' performance as a manager that you look to and say, I wanted more out of that guy. And, I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that.
0: And you hit a great point on the head, and I said it in the open. I don't know if this dials into the team because they're not invested in the same way the fans are. But everybody still, I think, is on that high from August, September, in the playoffs, from August 1st until the last out of that world series the fans the team were locked in on the goal and the goal was win, play today win today play today win today and it just it kind of spiraled in a good way and snowballed in a good way I should say and now you get back to spring training you get back to the monotony of the regular season and i see people like checking the standings with the nets the mets are 5 games behind the nats and i said the season's like an nba game there's going to be runs. Now, can you get blown out in the first quarter and, and lose an NBA game and never be in it? Sure. The first quarter is 25% of the way through the, through the game. We're nowhere near as 25% of the way through the season. Just take a step back, relax. The Nats aren't going to win every game. The Mets aren't going to lose every game. Let the Mets develop a little bit, and let's not forget Neil Walker, Cabrera, are guys that are still finding their way in Mets uniforms. This is, this is the same team, but it's not the same team. And I think everybody wants this thing from August 1st of last year to the end of the World Series to continue. Well, by the way, there's been a lot of time in between some new players, and you can't expect them to play pennant race baseball from day one on. That's just not the way it works. I give them 50 games, and I don't think the Nats are going to run away with this in 50 games. They're going to come back down to it. So it's interesting how I think that the fans and everybody are still in that 2015, every night, scoreboard watching, worry, getting into it. Not that you want to see the Mets lose 6 of 11 every 11 games, but I think you know what I'm saying. Let's let's just kind of take a step back and let this team develop a little bit and and, and build from last year, but it's not all going to happen. It's not going to be a continuation of Game 5 of the World Series off the bat.
1: Yeah, absolutely right, and it's something that, as a baseball fan, I've always struggled with, and I feel like there's two things that I always tell myself the previous year and then I can't seem to actually put it into practice when it comes around the next time. And one is don't go to April baseball games at the ballpark because they're always miserable. It's cold. It's windy. (laughs) You know, it's, nobody hits, you know, it's just not. You would have been better going to game
0: on Christmas. You had better weather yeah. today <laughs> than you did in April. Exactly,
1: Friday. exactly. At least then you might see somebody dressed up as Santa or something. But you know, the the um the the April baseball fine to watch on TV, not so much in person. So that's one. Two is you got to wait until sometime in like mid-May to really know. Really, really more so like early June to really know what's going on with your team. And it's it's that kind of a a sport. It's that kind of a sample size and. I'll be the first to admit, I mean, I, I think I tweeted it. uh, It was yesterday. As a matter of fact, I said, um, I, I I don't think this national team is, I think this national team is going to win the division. And you know, that's crazy to say, it's crazy to say it this early on, but I just see a team that has Bryce Harper, who's basically, I mean, what are we talking about here? Like Ted Williams part two, Um, you know, uh, obviously no Murphy very well. Their pitching staff is still really good with some youngsters and, you know, the whole Dusty Baker factor. But, however, that all being said, it's it's April, you know, whatever it is, and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what happens with the injuries. You don't know how somebody goes into the tank with a prolonged slump, and, you know, that that's definitely a factor. Um, the Mets haven't exactly played their best baseball yet. So, yeah, it's so hard to, to really know, um, you know, how the rest of the summer is going to play out, but it's also so – uh, typical, I guess, for me as a baseball fan, to be looking at it and like, okay, well, yeah, it pod games. You know, that's, eh, yeah, <laughs> I
0: don't
1: know, but, you know, it's such a long season. You're absolutely right. It, it's uh, it's, a sport that kind of requires discipline, and each time as a fan, you got to remind yourself it takes that kind of patience.
0: Before we get to the Metamorized Online community's questions, you and I will, will wrap up the podcast together here, uh, answering a few questions Comments on Twitter, some questions or comments from uh, the website MetSmarizedOnline dot uh, I've listened a little bit to Salicata, I listened to Pete. Um, Listen to Pete more pre game than post game. But the days off, there's been so many of them. I've been tuning in, and there's so much panic and so much uh, narratives being thrown. So many narratives being thrown. Is is knowing that you're there. You're there for the whole show. You're you're helping those guys. Would you say there's more hysteria and paranoia than you would have expected? In, I mean, again, we're 11 games into the season. There's going to be another 4-6 and six stretch this year. You know, 10-game seasons, every 10 games, the Mets are going to be 4-6 and six again in a 10-game span, uh, like they were going into today's game.
1: Well, I think it has a lot to do with the opponents thus far. I think it has a lot to do with the Nat start as well. Um, I think the fact that the Mets started out with the Royals – was a very odd opening series. And not just the fact that they were playing in an American League park with the DH, but, you know, the fact that it was a rematch of the, of the World Series. And, and the first game that they played was a night game, not a day game. You know, not uh, that typical look of a baseball game that's on TV during the day that you're used to with opening day and you know, maybe you're off from work that day or you took off from work that day or whatever you want to watch opening day. Um, it wasn't like that. There was right. It was right back into the hopper, from an emotional standpoint. And I know we're rehashing that whole point, but it's really relevant, I feel. And I think that um, you know, not playing well against the Phillies and kind of seeing that you know, with uh, some of their young arms, that they're not necessarily the the also ran that we kind of hope they might be this year. You know, they're not going to win um, enough games to get into the playoffs, but they've got some pretty good starting pitching. Those Phillies and you know. Uh, Ryan Howard can still obviously hit home runs. But, um, you know, the, the panic and, and the negative reaction, I think as much as anything, comes from the heightened expectations and the notion that, you know, um, as much as we as Mets fans kind of want to tem- temper our expectations and not allow ourselves to have delusions of grandeur and, and dream that, you know, we could finally be on a positive track as an organization year after year. There is some of that. There is some belief that Sandy Alderson and and the minor league system being much more robust than it ever was and, you know, all these starting pitchers being on the right side at 30 and, you know, they finally opened up the checkbook a little bit to bring in a guy like Cespedes at at 27-and-a-half. You know, there's a a hope and an expectation that this is our time to have a really fun, awesome, wire-to-wire summer like 2006 was. And, you know, that's not necessarily going to happen. But the notion, even, that it's going to be a fight and a claw, um, I think does rankle a little bit and does raise some, some um, emotion. And, and it's not necessarily uh, the worst thing in the world because you have to be realistic in life and in sport and say that nothing ever comes easy. But I truly believe that part of it is, um, there was a portion of the Mets fan base that was like, "All right, you know what? We're going to jump out here. We got a bunch of games against a subpar competition in April, and you know we'll uh, kind of have those gnats in the rearview mirror by mid-May." And uh, that's not happening so far, so that's going to make certain portions of the fan base a little bit uneasy. But uh, hey, and I like, said,
0: and I said in my first, my opening monologue, first right before the first game of the season. Look at how many teams have repeated. I think there's eight, nine teams since 1973 that have repeated. I'm counting teams that just went to the World Series, didn't win the World Series, like the Texas Rangers. This is not going to be easy. Anyone who thought it was going to be easy, they were deluding themselves. And that, that transitions me to the first comment here. And it, it, it's a kind of a theme. I, again, I go back to it. This is from Metsamorized Online, and it's from Black Dynamite. And he writes, or she writes, I shouldn't say it to he. I don't know what the, this handle is all about. What I see from the Mets is that they're feeling pressure, the pressure of higher expectations. It's easy to perform when nobody expects you to excel. Now the lights are bright on them, and they're struggling to adjust. They will, but it's going to take time. I don't know if I agree with the second point. The Nats have zero pressure, and Dusty's not going to be too tight and lay pressure on them. They're playing fast and loose, and nobody expects them to beat the Mets out. They're playing like they have house money. I'll tell you what, uh, James, maybe right now, 11 games into the season, that could be the case with the Nats. But talk to me in August, like a a famous broadcaster in New York uh, said many years ago about the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, talk to me in August, Um, tongue-in-cheek there. Listen, this is a long season. The Nats at some point, you think Dusty's going to be fast and loose? If the Nats have a five-game lead in July and all of a sudden August 1st, they're on a losing streak and the Mets have closed within one, I have a hard time believing that all of a sudden it'll be loosey-goosey. I think there's expectations of Washington. This might be with Strasburg a free agent, Harper in the, down the line being a free agent. I think they have pressure just as much, uh, if not more than the Mets, because I don't know if they have the ability to sustain any kind of uh, spending. I'm not sure about that. So I don't know if I agree with – I agree with the first part of that comment. I'm not sure if I agree with the second part.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um it's tough because my tendency is to agree with the Nats part of it, that they don't have as much pressure, that they're kind of the forgotten squad, that you know it went from this team that wears my rings, obviously going to win 100 games, then they have a bad year, and there's a good portion of the baseball community that's kind of like, eh, something's wrong there. Um, eh, not necessarily. They did lose Jordan Zimmerman, and I think that was significant. And, um, you know, there's obviously issues with their bullpen that they have to figure out, which, you know, might not they be playing out so far.
0: Other than Harper and Murphy, they don't hit a heck of a lot. And Murphy ain't hitting they, 430 the rest of the year. They, they
1: don't necessarily. And, I mean, look at a guy like Jason Worth, who, you know, last year had a, had a god-awful season. Um, he could be better or he could not be better. I mean, he's not, like, a, a young guy anymore. And a, a guy like um, Rendon, Uh, you know, Zimmerman, Ramos. I mean, again, question, question marks for sure uh, on on a number of reasons, but I do like their pitching, their starting pitching that is. And, um, you know, the the pressure thing, here's here's to your point. August and then obviously September for anybody who's been a Mets fan long enough and for anybody who lived through 2007, pressure is, is really a factor when we get closer to fall. You know, right now, pressure isn't so much a thing you can screw your season up but I don't think it's from a pressure standpoint I think the problem with the Mets right now is not that they're playing listless or that they have low energy or anything like that it's just they're not hitting and they're almost not hitting to a man I mean you know Cespedes is starting to come around Wright has actually been pretty good with the bat the entire season um you know Conforto's been obviously good but for the rest of them very hit or miss um, you know, I, I guess you could include Walker as a guy who showed up at times, but you know, Branderson, no, uh, Darneau, no, uh, Duda, very little. You know, again, just not even getting hits, and that's where this this Indian series is starting to change that narrative a little bit. Um, the the starting pitching has kind of lagged, but you know, we'll see. I, I think that the the Mets team as a whole is never going to look like a million bucks when they're not hitting home runs because they strike out a lot. They don't really play great defense. Um, their, their starting pitching is almost like a given, like you're expecting them to throw a two or three run performance on the board every night from the starting pitcher. So if they're not hitting more runs, they're going to look listless. And thankfully the power started to show up a little bit this weekend, but it also should start to show up more as the weather gets better and these guys get their timing down and they swing back more, and the stakes start getting hit, you know, 10 rows deep as opposed to being bowed back and, and hit the warning track.
0: Dave, 27A, actually uh, piggybacked on, on – you already got into the next question here. Talked about the Mets offense, how people have said, well, it's come alive this weekend in Cleveland. Uh, obviously in the power department, he writes, at some point you have to drive in a run with something other than a home run. The approach hasn't gotten any better. Some balls have just started to make it over the wall. This was a theme during the Q&A last week where there was concern from the fan base about the Mets reverting back to uh, the Hudgens era. I hate to put it that, where a lot of fastballs down the middle, you know, working counts up. I saw a little bit of that, but I think you just made the point or really answered the question before. The, the weather stinks. The team is collectively in a slump. Those two things are not going to continue. And is this a team that's going to play small ball? Well, that's another point made in the – and I'll get their name. They said, you know, can the Mets play small ball? And um, I I don't think this team is built to play small ball. I think this is a team that the formula that you have is today. They're going to put a crooked number up, maybe three runs, maybe add a couple of runs after that, four or five runs on a good day. And four or five runs should be enough. And if that means they get three of them because Cespedes is a three-run home run, so be it. I don't think they're going to go and, and bunt the runner over or uh, hit the other way. I think I think these guys are going to hit and try to hit for power and try to drive the ball. And whether that's a double, a home run, whatever, I, I think that's the offense you have. You don't have a balanced offense, at least not from what yeah. I see right there. And you have some holes. No. I mean, Wright is a hole at times. Darno could be a hole. You got some real. Also, you got some real streaky hitters. Most of the guys on this team, the good hitters are streaky hitters, Duda, Cespedes, Wright, Granderson. You don't have guys that – there's guys who are going to have these 185 maybe months. So right. put up a crooked number and get a good pitching performance. That's really what the, the formula is.
1: Yeah, and, and even Darnell, I think, factors into that streakiness uh, as well. Um, you know, we've seen from him. But, no, I mean, I, listen, I, I think that the era of small ball um, – even though it's no longer the steroid era, and even though we no longer see the per player numbers from a slugging and home run perspective that we once did, um, the the notion of a small ball team, you know, the the Whitey Herzog Cardinal, that's that's pretty far gone. Now it's it's crazy to say that because the defending two time American League champions and the defending champion that beat the Mets very much is one of those throwback teams. They don't strike out a lot. They hit a lot of line drives. They play very good defense. And maybe, just maybe, they've exposed kind of the next era, the next flaw, the next sort of you know money ball, what, it, what have you, that is uh, trending in that direction. But the Mets are built in a more traditional modern offense way, which is that opposing pitching staffs at some point are going to throw mistakes. Um, they're not going to come around that often. And when you get a chance to hit the ball hard and far, that's your best way to score runs. And it, it manifests itself time and time again. You know, the, the Mets um, of uh, previous years, of, of yesteryear, immediately didn't hit a lot of home runs, and they didn't score a lot of runs, and they didn't win a lot of games. And when, you know, Cespedes came into town and he was hitting the ball all over the place, and when, when Duda started hitting home runs again, um, the team's fortunes, you know, changed. And, uh, you know, it's the old Earl Weaver offense, I guess. But I think in the era of improved defense, of defensive metrics, of shifting, of, you know, relievers that that come in to to switch lefty-righty all the time and, you know, throw uh, 98, 99 miles per hour night after night, you need to be able to hit mistakes over the fence to score runs with regularity unless you happen to be – The Kansas City Royals, who, by the way, had, like, the number one draft pick for seven straight years. So they're not exactly a uh, perfect comparison to anybody. But, yeah, the the Mets do have some flaws, much like most modern teams do. You know, we've heard about it for years. Yankee fans would bitch and moan and say, oh, you know, all we ever do is hit home runs. And Mets fans would say, yeah, well, you know what? We we take some of those. You know, a three-run home (laughs) run does you pretty damn good. Um, you know, Curtis Granderson, oh, he strikes out so much. Yeah, but he hits all these home runs, and then the Mets time, Curtis Granderson. So, um, I think that the frustration from a baseball purist standpoint is that you'd like to see uh the ground ball that advances the runner. You'd like to see the sack fly. You know, you'd like to see some of the stuff that you know is good baseball. But the game, as everything else, changes, and that's part of the way baseball has changed.
0: Yeah, well, one last question here, and then we'll uh, – I want to get to Stephen Matz before we wrap up. Uh, Sarge69 writes, maybe the DeGrom layoff might be a blessing in disguise. Thankfully, his baby's okay. Um, anyway, he might get the rest that he was going to get later on in the season, and I believe even if, he do, even if he doesn't throw in the 90s, it will return as the season goes on. He has turned into a pitcher, not a thrower. I think all these young guys are not just throwers. I think they're pitchers. I still say, James, and I look, I, who, who am I? I'm not a pitching coach. I understand that there was some concern about the innings log last year during the postseason. They wanted to ease them back into the season. But you can't tell me a guy like Matt Harvey throwing 12 innings, the kind of layoffs they had uh, with these pitchers, uh, it seemed like they just really were doing workouts. And, and anybody in, the, in spring who was in a game were guys that weren't going to be on the team. I almost feel like they're playing themselves into shape here in April, and I think that has a lot to do with what you're seeing. I find it hard to believe some innings and going late into the season is going to take two miles off the fastball for the rest of their life. I find it hard to believe. And if it does, then either the guns are off, or man, they don't make them like they used to. Because you can't tell me, (laughs) it didn't hurt Syndergaard, by the way. Syndergaard's fastball is right where it was uh, last October, so... I don't know. I I, I still think that uh, let's. I think they're playing them, themselves into shape to a large degree. Other than Syndergaard, I think they're all playing themselves into shape. Almost uh, that includes Matt, who yeah, sure, sure, looked pretty well, good today.
1: Well, listen, good good point regarding Syndergaard, and I think that does kind of shoot some holes in the whole narrative of you know the mileage that they experienced last year from a Degrom and Harvey perspective is the reason their velocities down. I think that's definitely um, a good point. Uh, however, it's certainly possible that Cindergard is just a freak, you know, which we see from him uh, with his size and and his and his strength and you know his ability to kind of pour that octane stuff out there night after night. It's possible that he's just special. But you know, uh, I think it's also possible that Harvey and Degrom, not being rookies, which I know technically Cindergard's not, but you know where I'm where I'm coming from, um, maybe they are pacing themselves a little bit and maybe they do get it a little more than Sundergaard, and maybe Sundergaard is so, uh, you know, forbear right now that he's going all out and and he's not going to have as much in the tank down the stretch. All certainly possibilities, and I think the only thing that any Mets fan should be in any way concerned about is whether or not Harvey and DeGrom are fully healthy, and of course, we know with DeGrom that there's the lat thing, and we'll have to see what happens with that, and I guess he's going to, you know, um, try to figure that out in the next few days, and and we'll see what happens. And with Harvey, uh, you know, definitely a full calendar year removed from Tommy John. You would hope that uh, he's, he's fully recovered from that. But, you know, who knows? Uh, Dan Wharton talks about he's got some issue throwing from the stretch right now. Um, is that because he didn't throw as much in the offseason? Because, again, he's trying to, to rest, you know, coming back from the Tommy John. I think that's certainly a legitimate question. So, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, pitching has to be looked at. Uh, In the same way that hitting is, which is that there's going to be times when you're not in your groove, you don't have your mechanics down, your timings off, and so much of that can affect performance. And uh, hopefully, you know, for sure, happening with Harvey and with uh, DeGrom, and not something more in the medical realm. But I don't think there's any reason to suggest, you know, again, other than the lat thing, that there's any real medical problem there. So I think you're probably right. It probably is just a matter of time.
0: And Matt's today – I mean, Cleveland, he has a team that's averaging coming into today's game four and a half runs a game. They, they're they not a, a powerhouse offense, but they got some good hitters on that team. And the ball seems to take off in that ballpark, too, even though they have the huge uh, 20-foot fence. And the weather was, for Cleveland in April, pretty good. Matt's at times, the curveball was Bobby Ojeda, Dead esque I would say. The slider <laughs> – okay. the slider – Reminded me of Al Leiter. Once in a while, I see Sid Fernandez. I know I'm throwing narratives out there, but uh, I was watching him today. Well, listen, like, that, wow, like,
1: any, wow! Any Mets fan enjoys hearing those those names. So that, that's no. But, my but job. James, this
0: was maybe his best performance. I'm going back to even last year when he pitched against the Dodgers and uh, the Reds early on, and we didn't. He, I don't, he hasn't even done a dozen starts yet in his career. I mean, people yeah. forget how long oh, he do. pitched last. Year. No he question. barely pitched five minutes in the postseason either. This is really, truly, not just because statistically he's a rookie, he's a rookie. I thought today was the best game I've seen him pitch. And um, that comes on the heels of, of a horrible game where he couldn't get anybody out. So, I mean, the one curveball really he spun off, I don't know who it was against. It was late in the game. I was like, wow, that looked like the Bobby heated Dead Fish. Jeez. So, uh, yeah. not the same pitch, of course, but just like that. So, you got to feel good about Matts, and uh, if there was any concerns about the Florida uh, game, and I know that Ke- I love Kevin Kernan, but I don't know who the scout was that, that wrote in his article, or, or he quoted in his article that said that Matts needs to go down to the minor leagues to work things out. I-, I still find it hard to believe he needs to go to Vegas to find himself. Please. No, him I, in the you know, th- if he gets pounded, yeah, th- he gets pounded. Just work it out. Th- th-
1: the thing that bothered me about Matt's was that prior to that bad start against the Marlins, he hadn't pitched for, like, nine days. And then in the post-game presser, uh, Collins said, you know, we wanted to pitch him in relief, but the opportunity just never presented itself. And I'm sitting there thinking, what? You guys pitched somebody no, out of the bullpen. The since first then.
0: game, he could have – the Harvey game, that first game, I think he should have tried to get him in there. The second well, I mean, game of my, the
1: year – my my point is, like, at least a couple days prior to that start, you could have had him throw one or two innings, and at least it would have been better than to not have him throw at all. You know, we're still – we're we're close enough to spring training where I don't think there's any harm or foul to having him pitch in a sort of piggyback relief role, even if it's not traditional. Like, they said, oh, well, you know, if Harvey didn't pitch that well, right, maybe it was Syndergaard, I can't remember who it was. That they had him as sort of a backup option in the same way they used Cologne earlier in the season. But I, I don't know. I, I didn't like having him not pitch for nine days. I think it was obvious that he didn't have it when uh, when he was pitching there in, the, in that second or third inning and he blew up. He just couldn't throw strikes. And, um, you know, the stuff was still there. He was throwing hard and he had sharp stuff, but it just wasn't locating. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, from all we've heard about Max, okay, first-round pick. Um, Collins loves him. Collins, you know, likes to make him as sort of like, you know, a uh, cottage pick to be the best out of all of them, which is, which is interesting. And, uh, you know, the, the no hitter in a, in a double a playoff game, you know, you could tell the guy has that same um, ice in his veins demeanor that they all just amazingly, you know, now that John Neese is out of the rotation, I don't know who the guy is. that's going to get rattled out there. Um, you know, this is a guy that's got really good stuff uh, coming from the left side and he's still figuring himself out as a pitcher. You're absolutely right. I mean, I-, I couldn't believe when he was starting in the World Series last year and they were pointing out stuff like, and I-, I don't know the numbers, but they're like, yeah, his sixth career start, here we go. And he goes out there and he pitches very well, credibly, in the right. World Series. And-, and it's like, okay, right. well, here we go. Because, you know, the sky's the limit for some of these guys when what they're doing at such a young age doesn't seem to phase them. And so much of baseball, as we know, is a mental game.
0: Absolutely. So what do you have coming up? Obviously, you're working at WOR. Uh, we know we have com. If anybody wants to chat about anything with you, you're not just Mets on your feed. You are a little bit of politics. you got a lot of stuff going on at JMA Drop. What do you got coming up?
1: Well, uh, I appreciate you mentioning all that, Mike, and I do have the podcast, which is at com, and uh, people can check that out. I do a little bit of the politics. I do sports as well. Um, I'm definitely very into uh, pop culture and stuff like that. But, you know, listen, I I, uh, enjoy tweeting about the Mets games. I work for the Mets radio station. It's been a blast to be involved. But it's also a bit of a challenge. I got to be honest with you, Mike, and I know you and probably some people listening can appreciate that. As a diehard baseball fan, it's very unique and it's very challenging from a fan perspective to watch them every single day. And last year was the first time in a long time that I really watched the Mets every single game. And, you know, I think everybody out there knows how great it is to listen to Howie, but, you know, when the Mets are uh, scoring one run a game, two runs a game, it was getting to be a bit much after a while. And I'm like, you know, listen, this is starting to feel like more of a job. And, um, you know, everybody can sympathize because everybody goes to work and has to make a living every day. But, um, working with the team uh, from that perspective, not that I'm there every day, but I am listening every day. I'm following it every day. I'm trying to keep that perspective in mind when last year uh, I, I kind of took it for granted. I think that what they were doing was so magical and so impressive and uh, the pitching and all that they had last year. um, We just kind of hope that's going to continue. And as a baseball fan, um, you kind of have to pinch yourself when you realize that the 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 down day, the down day for the rest of the summer is going to be, I don't know, I guess when Tulone pitches, and that's pretty damn good because he's so entertaining, and and you never know he could pitch a gem any given time. So for me, uh, what I have going on is I'll be doing my podcast for sure. I'll be talking about the Mets on there. Um, I love tweeting about the Mets because it's therapeutic for me, and I like interacting with people, so if they want to follow me there, it's, uh, you know, as you said, uh, jam a drop, jam a drop, and, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to the baseball season, man. I, I can't wait until, uh, you know, the weather's good, and it's just that random uh, wednesday night when you know they're, they're playing the the dodgers or whatever and it's a, it's a 10 o'clock start and you know you got to be up early the next day i don't have to be up early the next day but you know everybody's uh locked in and and it's just baseball man i, I love it, it it's, it's to me it's my favorite thing uh, i love football you know uh basketball is great too in its own way i mean i'm, I'm intrigued by the uh nBA playoffs but baseball is it for me and, and the Mets family and all that comes with it uh, I can't get enough. Of it. So I'm I'm really
0: excited to be back in it. Awesome. Well listen, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you coming on, answering some questions. Let's do it again. Try not to uh, lose your mind on Twitter. I'll be keeping you balanced. Just remember <laughs> this is like an NBA to get that whole that NBA playoffs. This is an NBA game. We're like a minute and a half into an NBA. game. I know. Game. I know. And maybe That's the insane. Nats have a it's... nice little run to start off. It's 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 early. Let's put it that way. But you gotta you gotta start playing better. And this is the first step for this team to play better, so you could. what the, yeah. the, If you haven't had dinner yet tonight, the pasta will go down well this Sunday. There's no more walking dead. There's no more billions on on Sunday. I don't know what you watch tonight. Go well, get some Netflix. Uh, and go Yeah, watch
1: you know, I, I'm a I'm a guy who uh, was into. I like Shameless, and that just ended as well. However, however, we're not that far away from Game of Thrones. So I'm I'm very, very excited it. about I've never watched
0: um, that one. Oh, Mike, Mike, you gotta do it, Mike. Game
1: of Thrones. All right. I'm you. I'll
0: have to I'll have to I'll have to check that out. Hey buddy, listen, enjoy <laughs> the rest of your Sunday and we'll chat. Thanks. Man. Thanks for having me. And that's James Flippin'. We'll uh we'll take a quick break. When we return, we'll wrap up right after this.
1: Put him away, pitch. 0-2. Oh, he struck him out. Big strikeout for Noah Syndergaard. Oh. Third time today he's worked himself out of a king size jam. And the Royals leave him, leave him loaded in the sixth inning.
0: The 2016 season is in full swing and you don't want to miss a beat. You know what else you don't want to miss? Me, Mike Silva, host of the Talking Mets Podcast, every week. Check it out and subscribe at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Alright, we're back, Mike Silva, Talking Mets Podcast. Uh wrapping up here. I want to thank Mike Vorkanoff. Check him out at Vice Sports. Also, want to thank James Flippin. Check him out at Flippin'OutRadio.com. You can check me out at Mike Silva Media on Twitter. And if you want to check out the show, go to MetaphorizeOnline.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. See everybody next week. Need the mess. Need the mess. Meet the mess. Meet the mess. Head for the park.